Good morning. Anybody else just want to go sit up in a blanket and drink a ton of coffee and forget about life's problems today? Sounds like a good idea. Uh, welcome to Bible study. If you are new here, we're so glad to see you. I know there's a new few new faces in the crowd this morning. My name is Taylor. I am Shannon's personal assistant. Sometimes I promote myself to manager. Um, working my way up to CEO. Just kidding. <laughs> She's got that role covered. Um, welcome to Tuesday morning Bible study. We're so glad that you can make it out um, in this weather. I just have a couple of announcements this morning. On Thursday, uh, Shannon will be speaking to high school girls. This is a free event. It is in Queen Creek, so it's a little bit of a drive, but it's in my neck of the woods, actually. Um, but if you know any high schoolers um, who would be interested in attending this event, moms are also welcome um, to come and kind of sit in the back, or they can drop them off, go get some good food in Queen Creek, and then come pick them back up. Uh, but this is a free event. There will be worship um, from Liana Crawford. She's absolutely amazing. And then Shannon's going to be speaking on anxiety. Um, and it, there's going to be a photo booth. There'll be gifts, prizes, some treats. It'll just be a really great night for girls to be encouraged um, in their walk with the Lord, hopefully introduce some girls to Jesus for the first time. So if you know a group of girls who is interested in going down there, there is flyers that you can take home in the lobby and on the table. Um, it gives you the information on how to sign up. You can also sign up um, when you get there too, but if you want to just email and sign up ahead of time, you can do that. So if you know anyone who's interested, please let us know. Um, Shannon has Bible study tonight, Tuesday night. She has Wednesday morning at North Hills in Phoenix. And then high school Bible study is on Wednesday. So if you know any high schoolers who are interested in studying with Shannon, that is on Wednesday night as well. All that information can be found on her website, on her Instagram, or her Facebook. If you miss an episode, you can catch up on her YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, the website podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So there's no excuses um, today. So if you haven't uh, caught up, just get yourself caught up. Um, we are going to get started. But it's great to see you all, and I hope you have a fantastic Tuesday. I got problems today. Oh, my gosh. All right, so you're going to see me limping around here. I have something going on with my left hip. And um, it's, yeah, it's killing me. So I don't know exactly what I did, but, you know, I've gotten back to being a hiking maniac. And it's not like I had an event where I'm like, oh, I hurt my hip. It's like the next day, one day I woke up and my hip was killing me. And I know that I am made tighter than a drum, if anybody else is like me. So I'm like, okay, my IT bands or my hip flexors are screaming or whatever. And so, you know, I'm trying to use that gun and get out. Well, it did not get better. It got worse. And uh, the other night, I seriously, have you ever been in a situation at night where, I mean, it was getting so bad. I was looking for any pain medicine that I had from any surgery I've ever had. I didn't care if it was outdated. I was about to call my friends and go this. I've done that before, by the way, when I had back surgery, but um, I found half of an oxycodone and I'm like, we're doing it. Uh, and you know what? It did help me. It helped me sleep, but it's been a, a bad situation. And so yesterday I started spiking a fever and I'm like, what is happening? I've already had the Rona 24. 
Um, and now, I mean, why am I, why do I have a fever with this hip? And I was just not feeling good. So, uh, you know, my mom's Googling everything. She's trying to tell me what to do, but whatever. So I'm studying and it was a hard day of study. And I call Professor Proverbs, you know, my mentor. And uh, I'm always ahead of y'all. So I'm always most of the time in the next chapters. And so I called him and this is what I said before I even realized what what it was. And then it made me laugh. I go, you know how, like, I don't even say hello to him. He's so used to this. He answers the phone. I go, you know how a lot of times we say we dance with the scriptures and it is so awesome. I go, that is not today. I go, I am wrestling with this scripture like you can't imagine. And on top of that, my dang hip is killing me. And (laughs) then all of a sudden it went, hmm. And he goes, uh, see, I could tell y'all haven't even gotten it yet. He goes, uh, well, should I start calling you Israel? Like what's happening? And then we just were dying laughing. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I stopped and I was like, okay, Lord. I'm wrestling with you and I'm wrestling with you about a whole lot of stuff inside, uh, you know, that people don't even know. Have you knocked my hip out of joint? Oh, you know, what's happening? I thought hiking was good for me. Now you've taken me out. What's going on? But I'm telling you what, I, y'all just need to pray for me. That's all I got to say, because I'm super discouraged and I don't feel good. And um, I was telling him over there, it's hack being a woman, isn't it? We don't know what's going on in our body ever. I'm like, I'm missing something. I don't know what it is, but I'm missing something. I don't feel right. I don't have the energy I normally have. I'm a little mopey, whatever. And I'm like, am I in menopause? Am I past menopause? Am I halfway to menopause? Did I run myself out of menopause for five years? Did I, what, what is it? Is it post? Is it... It's heck being a woman. We never know what is going on. So today I'm going to the doctor. So don't talk to me after today. I know I'm taking this hip to Dr. Shane McCall and I'm going to say, figure out my hip. Then I'm going to walk over to his PA and I'm going to go take every bit of blood I have and figure out what it is I am missing. And then if you need to tell me how to eat, tell me how to whatever, I will do it. Because I don't like feeling like this, do you? And isn't this why we need each other? Men don't get it. I mean, they have their own issues. Isn't that the truth? But they have their own issues. But, you know, we are very complex, we females, trying to figure all this out. So if you think about it, pray for me today. I am Jacob walking around with a bad hip. But I am excited about looking at Stephen's sermon. Did y'all... Did you read through it? Oh, you're A-plus students today. All right, so let's do this. Open up your Bibles with me. To chapter 7 of Acts. So uh, you can understand now why Rob decided to spin swing shift in the trailer up in Prescott. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. Like, he is up in... You know, he works in Prescott, and so I've never been with anyone who's on shifts. That's a unique situation to get used to, isn't it? So we have two weeks of days, a week of graveyards, and a week of uh, swing. 
Well, I thought graveyards were going to be bad. No, not for me, maybe for him. But swing is awful, you know? And I'm like, why are you even coming home? We have a trailer up there. I was single a long time. I'm good. And then this time he, he came home a couple of times. He said, I think I'm going to stay up in Prescott. I go, I'm walking like this. I bet you are. <laughs> I know, because I don't feel good. And, you know, oh, it's so funny. Tell you what, I, wish, I would go up in Prescott and stay in that trailer too. Oh, man. Okay, let's pray and get focused from all this nonsense and uh, let's get our face in the book. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you that we have good friends that we just love to see on Tuesday morning. I thank you for the rhythm of this. And even sometimes, Lord, when we don't wanna do it, we don't wanna come or we don't feel good, I'm telling you, Lord, I'm so thankful when I see the faces that I'm in the building um, with all these gals. And I know I have a community that loves me, cares for me, we love each other, we care for each other, and. And we are dedicated um, to your teachings. And so it is um, our strength. It's our food. It's everything to us. Um, it helps us to focus and fix our eyes on you. And so, God, I pray that today Holy Spirit will be powerful, would speak to each individual heart as we um, corporately go through the verses of this scripture. I thank you for men like Stephen who were bold in their witness um, and just told their story. And um, Lord, I thank you that he was able to see you stand for him in the middle of a horrifying situation. And Lord, you stand for us, you're a great intercessor. And so I just uh, pray that you'd be strong today as we look at your word. I love you so much in Jesus name, amen. All right, let's see, where do I wanna start? Um, why don't I just start from the time he was seized and then we'll get into the speech, all right? So I'm going to read 6, starting in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. I don't believe that went over well with Saul. Do you? Right? Saul, the one who uh, is from Cilicia. Saul, the one whose father was uh, quite the merchant and somehow became a citizen of Rome. And so Saul was born a free man. And Saul learned to trade like everybody else. Tent making was so smart that he was taken into the school of Gamaliel, where some say he earned what is equivalent to two PhDs, being one of the uh, most highly respected uh, rabbis and Pharisees in the land. And what is it? And more than likely, he is a part of this synagogue. And it says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witness who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, so the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, 
all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Okay, so remember, what are the accusations? Let's talk about that. There's four of them, that he speaks against God and against Moses and against the temple and against the law. Okay, and that, that's the accusations, all right? And then we're given this amazing uh, scripture, which we're gonna look at in a minute, that he exemplified the face of an angel. So those are the four accusations. And I want you to think about who is this council? The same council who did what? Right, who turned Jesus over. Uh, by the way, he was falsely accused as well. He, the same council that had illegal trials that they should have never had and the one who handed Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. So this is no little thing. I'm not even sure we can relate. Think of anything when you're called into, have you ever been called into any situation that will bring about that amount of fear? And so... It says in chapter seven, and the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nations that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Okay, let's break this part down. All right, so the accusations is that he speaks against Moses and God, that he speaks against the temple and the law. I think that is actually kind of hysterical because it says he speaks against Moses, but yet whose face looks like Moses? His. Do you remember? Moses' face after being in the presence of God on the mountain, when he came down, it glowed with the glory of the Lord so much that he had to put the veil over his face because over time it, it would fade. And so here is the man that actually is the one who looks the most like Moses, and he's being accused that he is speaking against Moses and God. Um, then he speak, they're also saying that he speaks against the temple and that he speaks against the law. The fact is he's not demeaning the law and the temple they are. They have misunderstood the nature of them. Jesus is the substance. They are the shadows. Do you remember in scripture, for example, and, and we're going to look at this more, but in Matthew 12, um, do you remember, it's even a scene in The Chosen, I think, uh, when the disciples grab the grain on the Sabbath, okay, and they're talking, you know, it's a big problem with the Sabbath in the temple, and Jesus actually says that there is something greater here than the temple, and who is he referring to? 
himself, okay? So these are the substance. I mean, Jesus is the substance, and they are the shadow. He also, uh, we know in John 2, it said, destroy this temple, and three days later, I will raise it up again. So he is the temple. The, the deal is that God is always trying to show us spiritual things through concrete objects. The problem, so that we understand, the problem is we tend to begin to worship the object instead of the thing it is pointing to. And this is what they're doing. And he's going to go on and say that. So he starts with, he says, as far as speaking blasphemy against God, he sets that straight right away. Because how does he refer to God? It's right there. Look at your Bible. The God of glory. The only time we see that, I think we talked about maybe this last week, is in Psalm 29, when it talks about that he is the God above the waters. He is the God of glory. So if you go to Psalm 29 and you read it, he is making clear in no way is he blaspheming the one true creator God. He quotes their very Psalm. Then he moves on uh, to Abraham. Um, he is not going to address these charges straight on, but instead he's going to give a narrative, a story in scripture. He's going to give the history of the people. Now think about this. Who is Stephen? Right? He, he's one of the seven, all right? One of the disciples, one of the deacons that is serving the tables, that's out in the community, full of the spirit and wisdom. It said that he was a great man of faith. Um, but do you remember all seven of those names were of what origin? He is Greek. And do you remember what I said about the kind of the issue as to why they picked the Greek? Because there's a little bit of an ethnic issue going on that the Hebrew Jews or the local Jews seem to be what? They think they're just a little bit of a step above. And they study the original text when the Greeks study the what? Septuagint. And so can you already imagine the tug that is going on? So here is this Greek Jew who doesn't even study the original text. In a minute, we're going to see that uh, reflected in his speech um, that he's actually studying the Septuagint. But he is not going to, like Peter, preach where he picks a scripture and then he uh, does an expository sermon off that scripture and then picks another point. Instead, he's going to go back and tell a narrative, the story of the history of their people pulling out different perspectives. And, and I love that. Of course I do because I'm a storyteller. It's really what I'm the best at. And what I have found, it's the narrative and the story that grasps people and pulls them in, right? Because the story lives on and we see ourselves in the story. And that is what he is hoping will happen here as he tells this story, because what he is doing and by telling the stories, he's pointing out patterns, patterns of humanity in general, but patterns in the Israelite people, in their forefathers. And what he wants them to see is their patterns are also your patterns. Have you ever had that discovery, by the way? Have you ever had it done any self-work where you realize, oh, I thought I was so different. 
but actually I see some of the same patterns in me. Um, very interesting. So it is with Abraham that the Jewish people begin, and it is with Abraham that Genesis begins to tell us how the world will be set right. How's that going to happen? Genesis is about beginnings, right? The beginning of all things. The first 11 chapters are about four great events. The rest of Genesis is about four great men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. So it is the beginning of all things. And it is, we find out the problem. We find out the solution. And then we learn that the solution will come through a family. And that's what he is saying. This is the beginning through Abraham was the beginning of the Israelite nation. And what was going to happen is that God was going to act in this family and this nation to correct uh, or to deal with the problem of human sin, which the first 11 chapters tells us how awful it is that it was actually a social catastrophe and it was a cosmic disaster. Do you remember? The first 11 chapters, creation, fall, what? The flood, the judgment of all the world, a brand new beginning, and then still what? The greatest revolt of all time, the Tower of Babel. That is the state of humanity. That is the beast. And so we learn that through this family, God is going to literally operate in this family to deal with human sin and by restoring Israel and committing to Israel through Israel, what? He will restore all mankind. He will restore the world. I will bless you so that you will become a blessing. So God calls Abraham to be different. He tells him to come out of his ancestral home and go to a new land. In Acts 7, 2 through 4, what do we see? It says that God appeared to Abraham. This is one of his points. God appeared to him where? In Mesopotamia, okay? So he is insisting on a unique calling that God appeared to Abraham. There's no argument here. So his point is, so not only was the temple unnecessary for this revelation of God, of the God of glory, but so was the promised land. Because God is greater than either. Stott said this in his commentary, a single thread runs right through the first part of his defense. It is, the God of, it is that the God of Israel is a pilgrim God who is not restricted to one place. If he has any home on earth, it is with his people. This is one of his points because what's one of the arguments that he's speaking out against the temple, Right? And God did not stay in Jerusalem, okay, the promised land, Israel, and shout to Abraham to come out of that land and to come to him. No, where was God? With Abraham. He appeared to him in Mesopotamia. And then he goes on to say, and by the way, uh, he even went to Haran and got stuck there until his father died. And then God called him out of Haran into the promised land, right? And so uh, it's, I used to tell my students all the time, remember this, he got to Haran, that actually means barren, okay? And uh, his, na his father's name, Terah, means delayed. So he got delayed in a barren land, 
until he continued his journey because the nation was not going to come through Terah. It was going to come through who? Abraham. And Abraham was called to start a brand new nation from him. And God was with him where? In Mesopotamia. And he was with him in Haran. And he came with him where? Into the land. And this is, this is his point. So the covenant says long in advance that Abraham's descendants will be enslaved by a foreign nation, but will be brought out and be given the land as their inheritance, the land where he currently lived as a resident alien. And here is part of the, here's part of it. By the way, you do realize he's telling him that life in the future is going to be hard. Your people are going to end up in a land that is not their own, and they're going to be enslaved for 400 and something years, but I will hear their cry. Like, life's going to be hard, but the point is what? I see you, I hear you, I am with you. And one day, what's going to happen? I'm going to free you. So he tells him that, but he gave him, here's the point. Do you see where it says he gave him no inheritance? Look at that section. Let's read it so that you, you're familiar with it. In verse 5, Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in the land. Okay, and he goes on to talk about, really to talk about Egypt. And so it says, Abraham had no inheritance in the land when this promise came. He didn't own a darn thing, not even where his foot stood. And he didn't even have a son when this was said to him. So the promise of both, he, he got the promise of both, but he had no outward evidence of either, which means he had to trust which means he had to have a relationship of faith with God, not in outward evidence or structures. It was all what? By faith. At that current time, he didn't own one piece of that land and he didn't even have a son. And one thing we know about Abraham is that he was a pilgrim. He built altars, but he what? He moved with God. He went with God. Uh, he was a pilgrim and he did not make idols out of the blessings God had promised or given. He didn't make an idol out of the land. He moved. Matter of fact, do you remember when he split from Lot? What happened? Right? Wherever they were, the land could not sustain the wealth, all the sheep and the cattle that they had acquired. And so they split. And what did he allow Lot to do? Look up. And choose whatever part of the land, right? And Lot made the mistake of choosing with his eyes. And then we know the story, like, you know, he pitched his tent uh, near, so uh, near Sodom. Then he was in Sodom. Then he was in the city gate. I mean, it was like a procession towards that. But God told Abraham, what? Lift up your eyes and look. Look east and west and north and south. It's all yours. Why? Because it's all mine right? It, it's all his. And he never made it into some kind of structure or concrete or idol. Think about his son. The other part of the promise, what did God ask him to do? 
Give him back. Kill him. Now, how can that be? Because through that concrete boy, that son, was to come what? A nation. Didn't make a lick of sense to him. So based on the words of God, how could you then ask me to what? Give him up. But it says by faith. Abraham, let's look at it because it's such a good scripture. Um, Look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to come back here in a minute, so you might want to mark it. We're going to look at Moses, too. Let me find him. Yeah, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out, but not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise. And in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. What's the point of the tents? They were sojourners, right? They were wanderers. They did not own it, for he was looking forward to what? A city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Something more, not the concrete structure, but what it points to. He was willing to move with God and to live by faith and not make those promises of God, these concrete structures. By faith, Sarah Sarah, I can't read. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand uh, by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And so he's, he's reminding them that Abraham, that the covenant came through, that he lived by faith and he did not make these things, uh, these concrete structures or these idols. And he talks about that he gave him the covenant of circumcision. Remember that? The covenant that through this family would come the Messiah, but it was the cutting back of something old and the revealing of something new. They would be a new nation, a new family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes. And then he moves on. But keep in mind, the point is that he was with Abraham in Mesopotamia. He was with Abraham where? In Haran, and he was with Abraham in the land of Israel as Abraham followed God. So let's keep reading. And the, uh, let's see, and the patriarchs jealous of Joseph. Okay, so Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Now he's gonna pinpoint Joseph. And the patriarchs jealous of Joseph sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Mm. Did Did you pick that up? 
and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our, our fathers on their first visit. But on the, on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. That's interesting in case you're a nerd. Uh, the uh, original Hebrew says 70, but the Septuagint says 75. And so isn't that interesting that he's Greek? So he's showing that actually he's reading the Septuagint, it says, and Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. So all he ever owned in his life was a burial plot. So let's, so now he moves on to Joseph. Okay. It says, but the brothers turned on the chosen one. So I want you to hear the points that he is saying. The brothers turned on Joseph. They betrayed him, right? Do you remember? They beat the living crud out of him, threw him in a well, sat down, had a sandwich, thought about what to do with him, and then they sold him out to the enemy. But God was with him, and he was made a ruler. And when they were in need, uh, the, the man they had to go to was the, actually the one that they had been jealous of and they rejected. And fortunately, he was gracious and gave them what they needed. So what are the bullet points? They rejected their own. They turned him over. God made him king. The king showed grace and they were saved. Have you got it? Do you think they were getting it? The patterns. Like you want to talk about tradition and heritage and God and Moses and the temple and the law. Let's go back over our story. Let's see our patterns because it seems like every time God is trying to save the people, he sends somebody and what? You reject them. Right? And right here it says that they turned on their own, that they rejected him, that they sold him to the enemy, and yet God made him king. And when they needed him, he showed grace and they were, they were saved. N.T. Wright says this, one of the great arts of Christian theology is to know how to tell the story. And the story of the Old Testament, the story of Jesus as both the climax of the Old Testament and the foundation of all that was to come. Not in other words, a random collection of useful preaching material with some extraordinary and saving events tacked on to the end and the story of the church from the first day until now. Sometimes we have to take a long walk back to make sure we are remaining in the correct rhythm. How important, how many times do I hear y'all say all the time, oh my gosh, I don't think I ever understood that. Why? Because we have to always go back. We have to do what Stephen is doing. We have to know the whole story. 
not just this little story and this little micro story and take all the points out because it'll preach, right? But we have to know this systematic theology of how all the story fits together so that we can see the patterns of humanity. We see what God is like. We know where we're headed. And very often we need to take the story back. And what concerns me big time today is I can tell you right now, the majority of people don't know the story. And I can tell you right now, our young people do not know the story. They don't know the heritage. They don't know where it started and the promises and where it came from and the faithfulness of God and all that he did throughout humanity, what he's like, what his nature's like, how he brought Jesus, he fulfilled all of his promises, how the pattern remained, where he went and why and what is our job now and what do we have to look forward to and how do we fit into this? They don't know that. They don't. They know little topics of what it looks like to be a Christian. And so that is very easily over time turned into works if we're not careful. If we don't go back and we tell a narrative, we're a part of something. We're a part of this family. Christianity came out of Judaism and this is our history and it is our story. We're the fulfillment of, of that. Uh, of what is to come. And so you have to go back. Sometimes I wrote, the story is the only way to tell the truth. It's the story. So he moves on to Moses now. And remember, one of the charges is that he what? He's actually blaspheming against Moses. So he covers Abraham. He starts with the covenant. And what are some of his points? God was with Abraham. He appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. He was with him in Haran. He called him out and he made promises. And when Abraham, your father, was in this land, he didn't own a darn bit of it. He trusted the promises of God even before he had a son. And he never made those promises into these structures or idols. Matter of fact, he gave up his son right? And we have that whole beautiful thing. And we go from Abraham and Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Jacob had 12 sons. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about this family that grew. Joseph, the one who was called by God to be the deliverer, what happened? Well, his brethren rejected him, beat the crud out of him, sold him into slavery and he became king and he saved them. And then from Joseph, what happened? Well, let's look. In verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. Do you remember how Joseph got them there? He saved them from the famine. Do you remember that? And they were in Israel, but in order to live, they went to Egypt, the family of 70 to 75 people, and they were given the land of Goshen. And that is where they grew into the nation of 2 million people. Okay, so that's how we're, that's the transition. Joseph is that transitionary uh, figure. He dealt shrewdly, so the, the Pharaoh dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. 
At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of Egypt, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation through his hand, but they didn't understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this Retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So now he continues with the story and he goes on um, to Moses. As the promise drew near, that tells me that God has a timing, doesn't he? In God's timing. Uh, We know that when Jesus was born, it says, in the fullness of time came Jesus, Jesus was born. So he has a plan and it's timing. So in Egypt and Goshen, they increased and multiplied. And what happened? You know the story, don't you? A Pharaoh arose that no longer knew Joseph. And what did he realize? He's building an empire, okay? And let me tell you, things are starting to get rowdy in the world around him. And now he realizes that over in Goshen in a suburb near him, he's got 2 million non-Egyptians. And he uh, decides that if his enemy comes and turns them against him, he's gonna be in a pickle. So what does he do? He begins to enslave them. He, he becomes the tyrant and he still, he enslaves them. And what happens? What happens when they're persecuted, when they're pressed? They still grow, right? He can't stop it. And then do you remember what happened next? Well, they're still growing. He's trying to stop the growth. And then the first thing he does is you remember he tells the midwives and there's some issue there. Are the midwives Egyptian? Are they Hebrew? I won't get into that. But he tells the midwives to kill the baby boys, right? And then the next thing we know, that didn't work because they had more fear of God than they did man, which is a very deep topic because if they're Egyptians, which makes some sense because why would Pharaoh tell Hebrew midwives to kill Hebrew baby boys? Isn't it interesting that there is innately in different people, not based on ethnicity, that there is something beyond the tyrant? that you're accountable to. And they had greater fear of God than they did the tyrant and they did not kill. And so listen, uh, there is something beyond and many people know, they don't know who he is, but there's something more. And so they saved him. So when that didn't happen, then they threw the baby boys, right? In the Nile River, they killed the men. Why are they getting rid of the men? Well, because men fight in wars, right? And, and, and they do that, um, but, and they, they save the women. Why? Well, the women can be 
taken in. So it's like taking the potential of a nation. You can take them in because all the potential, all the new birth comes out of women. You don't need a lot of men. You need more women, right? And over time, you can actually lose that entire nation of Israel if you get rid of all the men. And so this is what is happening. And so uh, he uh, began to murder them. But God saved Moses. How? Do you remember? What did he put him in? And the basket in the ark, okay? In the ark. This is another situation where there's, this is like a life-ending situation. The nation of Israel that God has determined to what? To work through and has made a covenant is in danger of being annihilated. And so what happened? He saves Moses in the ark, right? And it is put in the water. Are you seeing these patterns? What destroyed uh, the earth in the beginning? The flood, right? Basically uncreation. Go back and read it. All the limits that he set so that things could have growth. That should remind you of last week. Okay. The limits, the order. What did he do? And it all came crashing down, and yet he saved Noah and his family in the ark, which is such a picture of Jesus, okay? And here, it is a threat that now this nation is going to be annihilated, and so he saves them through what? This little ark that is put into the water, right? And then it is guided, it's in the reeds, and Pharaoh's daughter sees him, and saves him, okay? So right off, he decides, so Moses now, at 40 years old, he identifies with his people, all right? So we see that he has been raised as an Egyptian prince. Most people think that the Pharaoh had no son and that Moses would have been the next Pharaoh in Egypt, all right? So that's pretty amazing. So for 40 years, he grows up as the prince of Egypt. So, but yet he has this, he has identified with his people. I wrote in my notes, read verse 22 and 23 again. I don't know why. So let's look at it. Did I even get there? Yeah. No? Yes. 22, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of Egypt, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Wow. So think about this. I know why I wrote that. He had everything the world had to offer. Everything. You want to talk about power? The dude had power. Do you want to talk about wealth? He had wealth. He had it all. And yet it says that he identified with his people. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and let's read about him. Verse 23. 
By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the tyrant. Isn't that something? By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to a reward. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Think about that. Who is he preaching to? Who is Stephen preaching to? The Pharisees. What have they done? Well, they beat the crap out of their brother. Turned him over to the enemy. Sold him out. Crucified him. But yet what? He has been elevated to king. They're in danger. And they've been told to repent. And even now, they couldn't receive repentance. And what? Be saved. And you want to talk about the blasphemy of Moses? Moses was raised in all the wisdom of Egypt. You want to talk about power and wealth and structure and empire? And what did he do? After 40 years, he decided to what? Give it up because he was going to identify with his people because there is something greater than worldly power and structures and all of that. And he was willing to take all that he had and pour it out to identify with his people. Are you seeing? Like, He's going back and going, do you know your story? This is a Greek Jew talking to the Pharisees of the day. Hmm. Moses saw himself in God's story. I put in my notes, how were they like Moses? Stephen is more like Moses. Just look at his face. Moses tries to save them. He assumed his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation through his hand. The prince of Egypt has come out to save you. I am putting all of this at stake for my brothers. But what? He tries to unify them, but instead they unify against him. And what do they say to Moses? Who made you ruler and judge over us? So Moses has to go into exile for 40 years. Uh, Did they not say some of the same stuff to Jesus? Who are you? Who sent you? Who gives, what authority do you have to do the things that you are doing? And the whole time, what is he trying to do? Unite his brethren right? Bring them salvation. Who died and made you our judge? Okay, well. Okay, we got to keep reading. Let's see, where am I? Thank you. 
So 28, so who died, who made you ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Remember when I, I tell you, what are you supposed to be thinking about when you hear that? Covenant, the God of promise. So what do we know? God is about to act on his promise. He's a promise keeping God. There's a story going on here. There have been promises made and we are moving forward. God is on the move. We've seen that already about being let out of the box. This is the problem. The Pharisees are stuck in concrete. And God's never been like that, right? We've already talked about it. He's more of a what? The pilgrim, all the land is his. We need to move. And that's what we're seeing, the fulfillment of the promise in Jesus and the movement of the church moving forward. And so God is, he's on the move. So here he is, it says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. I love that. There's so much in that. I don't have time. But it's interesting that the fire caught his attention, but he could not what? Whew. There's something about God in this event that draws you and yet you what? You know that when you see that it, it's too much. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Mm. The God of promise, remembering and keeping his promise through Moses. This is what Stephen is showing them. God is still keeping his promise and they are missing it. So it says that he trembled um, he did not look. God says, I have seen, I have heard, I have come down and I will send you. Who's doing all the work? God, this Moses that you rejected by saying, who made you ruler and judge? Well, what's the answer? God did. God did. This man got sent as both ruler and redeemer. It says in, in 35, so let's keep reading. This Moses, whom they rejected saying, who made you ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who is in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. And we'll, we'll keep reading that in just a second. So the question is, this man that you ask, uh, who made you ruler and judge? Well, he is both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel that appeared to him in the bush, right? This is the temple language. What's happening? God has met him where? Where is he? 
in the desert, right? And why did he tell him to, tell him to take off his shoes? Because the place he was standing was holy. Why is the place holy? Because God's there, which means we have an overlap between earthly and heavenly, which that in sense is what? The temple, the tabernacle, the temple. And where is it? It's in the wilderness. He appeared to Moses in the wilderness. And he says, God will raise up. And this same Moses that he appeared to, Moses himself told you that God will raise up one like me, one like me. So remember, this is the same Moses that met God face to face and received the living oracles to give us. And guess what? We're going to read. Not only did you reject him when he came and tried to be your leader and he had to go into exile. Now, his personal story is a different take. He's not showing them what God is doing in the life of Moses. I could teach it from that angle. That's the beautiful thing of the story. The story for them is he is showing the pattern of the stiff-necked Israelite people that every time God is doing something new and trying to fulfill his promise and move them in the direction he wants to go, what do they do? They reject who they, whoever he sends. They reject their brother. They are violent. They cast them out, right? And so Moses goes out and comes back and yet he is the one that comes and frees them. And so then he goes and performs, frees them from the from bondage of sin and slavery. And he goes out, he goes up to the mountain of God and he receives the living word. And when he brings it down, what are they doing? Really? So let's go back and review this story, he's saying, the way I see it. And he's just telling a story. Is I'm seeing some habitual patterns going on here. You talk about the great Moses, but yet our forefathers, when he came to be their leader, rejected him and denied him. And then when he came back and freed them, right, and he received literally the tablets from God. His face was glowing. By the time he got down, what had you done? You built the golden calf, right? You wanted to worship God, but you did it in a, the way the Egyptians did it. You put God in a box. You made a structure to worship. And this has been your habit all along. So don't talk to me about blaspheming Moses and the law. Our forefathers blaspheme Moses and the law. And where do you think he's drawing the conclusion? Where are we going? So we're going to finish this, this sermon, but does this not sound so much like the prophet Nathan when he goes to David? The power of a story. Do you remember that? He goes into David after Bathsheba, that whole debacle of sleeping with Bathsheba and then sending her husband to war and having him killed and covering up all that. And he goes in and he tells him a story. Go back and look at it in 1 Samuel. He tells him a story and David gets sucked in in the story and sees all that. And then what does he say? You're that man. You see, this is why we study the Bible. 
I think the story. Every time I go back and see the story, I see something about God and I see something about me. I identify with all the players. I can see a little of that in me. I can see this in me. I can see this in me. And it reminds me, no, 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 Shannon. Don't get set in concrete. We're never still. We're always what? God is on the move. We are pilgrims and we are moving through. And that was his point with uh, Abraham is that no, he didn't own it. He didn't make the land an idol and he did not make Isaac an idol. He believed in the promise of God. It was out in the future and he moved daily with God. This is what he did because he believed that God would fulfill his promises. And then he goes from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he gets to Joseph and he goes, look, Joseph was the one who was gonna save his, they beat the crap out of him, threw him in a well, ate a sandwich and sold him. And he became king because God is faithful even when you're not. And he is going to save. He gave grace to his brethren. And then exactly God fills his promise. They grow into a nation of 2 million people. And just like he told Abraham, they were what? Oppressed. And they grew. And yet Moses, you're Moses. God saved. He was taken into Egypt. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Taken into Egypt. He grew in all the wisdom of Egypt. He had all of this power and he deemed it worth nothing compared to identifying himself with God and God's people and God's purpose. And he set out to free them and they rejected him. Who made you ruler and judge over us? And they, he was sent away. And then God called him in his timing. He said, you go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he goes and he saves them through the blood of the lamb. And they walk out and he performs signs and wonders. He goes up to receive the law. And by the time he comes down, they've already made a structure. He's showing them the patterns. And I don't know if you've ever seen, it's not fun to see your patterns. All right. And I'm going to tell you, as we finish this sermon, <laughs> what's going to happen? They are going to be so mad, he can't even finish his sentence. And they are going to drag him out and be the beast that they are. Keep going through the sermon. We're going to go through it, but I don't want you to miss this story, right? Do me a favor. Tell your kids these stories. Because it is so awesome, especially if your grandparents you don't have all the responsibility. I'm waiting for Hillary to pop me out a grandbaby. One day we can sit and we can just, just tell the stories. Do you understand this Stephen, this Greek speaking Jew, that's all he's doing. He's doing it from memory. He's telling the story from memory. You can't argue with our history. This is the story. He is not addressing them and debating them on points, right? This group of people. He is telling them the history of the people. And he's like, you, you find you, dude. Do you see it? It's very powerful tool. And so we'll continue to look at this story. Thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you, God, that you are faithful. I thank you, God 
that the whole world is yours. You're not bound to a land and to a temple made by the hands of man. You're not, we can't put you in a box and maneuver you. No, you are God. The whole earth is yours. And you meet us right where we are and you call us to move in faith with you and not get stuck in any certain place and not turn concrete things into idols, but to live and to trust you and to walk by faith. Um, and God, this was not an easy thing for the, the Pharisees. It wasn't an easy thing for them to see or to understand. Um, so God, I pray that, that we would read the scriptures and we would open our hearts to you and we would determine what kinds of things have we made idle and have we just become idle? Are we moving in our faith? Do we realize what story we're a part of? What our purpose is? and that we were moving towards an amazing promised land. It's the whole earth. When you return, you will set things right and we will get back all that was lost. But until then, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven through us, the power of the Holy Spirit, us living out a different kind of kingdom, us setting off a chain reaction that is completely than the world, different than the world, that we would love our enemies, that we would pray for those who persecute us, that we would do all that we hope will come back in in the end. And so God, I pray that we would keep our face in the book, that we would examine ourselves. We would worship you. I love you in Jesus name. Amen.